Hey everybody, welcome back once again to our Lenten podcast covering the book of Isaiah. Again, I'm Brian Belter, with me today, Pastor Gimble and Isaac Conrad. Thanks for joining me once again, gentlemen. Really appreciated having you on last week and we're going to make this week just as special, I hope. Uh, maybe not talk about straight razors or safety razors so much. But uh, <laughs> Oh, that makes my heart sad. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get into the, to the word of Isaiah and, and try to stick there a little bit more. Today we're going to be talking about... I'm sorry, Pastor Gunn. He's over here blushing. Um, we're trying not to laugh. But we're going to uh, be reading from chapter 6 today, verses 1 through 8. This is Isaiah's vision of the Lord. I like talking about visions, and I, hope, I think this is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. Yeah, this text has a lot of nuggets in there, and should be one that's familiar to all of you listeners as well. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the... Into the scripture. Again, this is uh, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go out for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So as promised, I think we are familiar with quite a bit of that imagery there, and you know, especially the very end as well, with the commission from the Lord to Isaiah to send him forth. Isaac, what, uh, what sticks out the most to you as we kind of read through that, that image, that vision? What sticks out to me the most is the taking the burning coal and taking that with some tongs, and putting it on Isaiah's lips to cleanse his lips. Right, you kind of, I imagine having a coal touched to my lips is not something good, but in this instance, it's kind of a purification, a cleansing type of thing, right? A purity of, am I getting that right, Pastor? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I always imagine like a charcoal briquette from a you know, good old Weber grill. In that case, you know, not something I would ever want to, insert in my mouth. I don't even like handling them with my hands because they get all the black stuff all over. <laughs> even when they're not lit, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I should have said that first, right? <laughs> <laughs> I regularly handle <laughs> burning charcoal. No, I have a gas grill. We can debate the merits of that later, too. So we're not talking about razors today. Today is grilling. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to your question, Brian. Uh, 
yes, I, I do think it was a matter of cleansing and purification because back in those days, again, the technology was for metals and you know, how do you purify and make metals stronger was you send it through heat and through fire in order to burn off the whatever and then impurities. you get the, yeah, burn off the impurities and then you get the, the pure, stronger metal when it's all said and done. Throughout scriptures, fire is also used as a symbol of purity as well and purification. In addition to judgment, we heard about a judgment in last week's podcast, but this is a sign of purity here. So I'm just curious, Isaac, I'm going to pick on you a little more. Why did you find that so striking? Well, I found it striking because it's the lips specifically, because he's going to be a prophet and proclaim the word of God to everyone. And so, I mean, he doesn't know it then. I mean, I think you're right, though. I mean, Isaiah find himself as the man of unclean lips right from the get-go before he even got really called, right? Yeah. So yeah, so. the the instrument in which Isaiah is going to prophesy and speak to the people of Judah is through his lips, through his mouth. So is that what you're getting at? Is that yeah. this is the instrument he's using, so it needs to be purified and cleaned, and this is what's going to be coming forth is going to be righteous words and from from God. And it kind of also reminds me of the clerical collar and the imagery in that because everything is black except for that spot around the voice box and so that's kind of saying like even though the pastor is a sinful person the words he speaks are still god's words that bring life to everyone and kind of almost that that his lips have been purified, he would have a white spot on his lips, I guess. I guess so. I'm not wearing white makeup, though. Just saying. You don't want to kiss a burning coal before you give your next sermon? I would prefer not to. Okay, all right. I might have to take that up with the Word of Elders. I'll I'll bring it to the elders and see what we say. (laughs) Well, it is interesting, though, in all of the, I mean, with Isaiah's calling and with all of the other calling passages in Scripture, they do always relate to me on a different level because they all sort of focus on that ministry aspect. Who's qualified to serve? How does God prepare a person to serve, to be a pastor, to be a servant of his church, too? And in many cases, and I think this is no exception, there's usually some amount of resistance to it, right? So we saw some hesitation or resistance on Isaiah's part, but what is the ultimate preparation for for ministry? In this and almost every other case is God saying, I chose you, and equipping people with uh, forgiveness and uh, sometimes even additional other gifts as well for that uh, said ministry. I'm having a hard time. I'm racking my brain trying to think of an example biblically of someone who was called yet didn't have some reservation about themselves. You know, it's kind of hard to find that. And that speaks a lot to the type of people that, that God does call, you know, the type of spirit that they have, that they still see the faults and flaws in themselves. Yeah, right. Samson didn't really, like, have much issue with it, but also that ended up being his major flaw is that he was too prideful. Yeah, well, God kind of called him via his parents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came to his parents and said, well, you're going to have a baby, and the baby's going to be set apart. But 
You're right. And I can, well, put it this way, I can think of a lot more people that did have resistance than those that didn't Right. in Scripture. At least the ones that we, we kind of tend to lift up and think of, these are the, the great prophets. Well, yeah, the, I mean, we just talked about Moses, and uh, Pastor Meyer mentioned Jonah in the uh, sermon last, last week, Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday. Uh, yeah, a handful of others, too. So where do we see the gospel in this passage? Where don't we see the gospel? I mean, I'm, I'm looking for specifics that we can help the listeners at home here kind of uh, relate the gospel back to this. Well, I think it's right in what we've already talked about. Verse 7, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. There we go. Should have done more research on this before, but I'm just noticing the distinction. They have used the word guilt and sin. I think those two go hand in hand, but you know, why did Isaiah... And why did God specifically mention each of those two things? Mention right. sin and guilt as two. Yeah. Because here in the church we talk about sin, right? Your sins are forgiven. Well, but we, we isn't don't mention gu- much like the guilt of sin. Right? I, mean, isn't, I mean, guilt is essentially you yourself recognizing the sin within yourself and feeling a responsibility for it. Yeah, the, right? well, yeah, to put in catechism terms, right, are you saying like the, the second use of the law where the law is a mirror shows Correct. us our own sin kind yes. of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I I just wonder if it's a more loaded word than that, too, for some reason. Hmm. And sin and guilt can be separate sometimes because even after you get forgiven for a sin, sometimes that guilt still sticks around. If you ever think mm, back to like years ago, some stupid thing that you did, then that guilt is still there, even though the sin has been forgiven. Oh yeah, I've you're you're right. Um, I've talked to many people that still wrestle with that in their own life. I wrestle with that personally in my life. Sometimes. I absolutely do myself. Like I've got some skeletons in my closet that I prefer just stay there, but some decisions I'm not proud of in the past, right? I guess it's a, the big question, like, why do people have guilt about stuff like that? I mean, Is it, it because they're just not sure in God's forgiveness? I think it, it has a, a lot to do with our inherent sinful nature as well. I mean, we can, we can, with our human reason, say, oh yes, this is the way that this formula works. I sin, I ask for forgiveness, God forgives, I am saved through Christ. We know that that's the formula, but through our human reason, we still say, uh, I, am, I still did this, and I'm still the one that caused this to happen, and I still feel in my sinful nature that I have a responsibility to make up for it. You know what I mean? Even though I can believe fully in the salvation of Christ, that sinful nature inside of me still thinks that I need to do something. I need to fix something. Something is wrong with me, and it's part of our our guilty, sinful nature. Yeah, I mean, that's the way we're wired with everything else in the world. So I don't know. I just wish I could go and ask Isaiah, right? Did you actually feel like your guilt was washed away? You know, I, I want to go up to him and say, how did you feel after you had those coals on your lips? I don't think he could describe it to anybody in this room because I don't think... If he tried to put it into words how it felt to live, to have no guilt... I don't know what that could possibly feel like. Well, we don't know if he felt that way or <laughs> well, not. Well, I mean, that, that's the other thing, too. Like, I know I've, I've told this to parishioners, right? You know, God's taken away your guilt. 
you don't need to feel guilty about your sins. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. But because I tell them that doesn't mean that they actually feel that way. Too. I'll fess up to it. What, that you don't actually feel that you, way? You, tell or you don't me, actually listen to I, stuff I, I, lis say. I listen to everything that you say, and I believe everything that you're saying because it is from the Word of God, and so I believe it. But I still feel an enormous amount of guilt for so many things in my life. And no matter how many times I tell myself, you don't need to feel guilty for this, I still do. I can't, you know, it just doesn't go away. Yeah. That's why I want to know, like, if, if you have an experience like this immersive like if you're Isaiah, right? If you're if that's immersive, that you get forgiveness in a way that's much deeper and more powerful than a pastor standing in front of him and saying, "Your sins are forgiven with the sign of the cross." I mean, don't get me wrong; that's very powerful, but you really only see it and hear it. Like if you talk about your five senses, like Isaiah, he experienced forgiveness with all five senses, right? He tasted that he, hot cold. He tasted it. He felt it. He touched it saw it and heard it, mm -hmm. like all five. I mean, there's no getting around and escaping that. God's forgiveness is real there. Another thing, well, yeah, we're <laughs> there's so many things in this text. But I, we can't go through this text without talking about the uh, holy, holy, holy passage right. as well. We all chimed in to, to read it together, and this is a passage that we still hold in our liturgy together as well. Right, mm -hmm. and I think it's helpful to kind of unpack that word holy a little bit. I know I say this a lot, probably, but I feel like this is like an exclusively church word, right? That sometimes we use without really having a good idea as to what it means. So I'm gonna be mean and put you both on the spot and have you. Can what do we mean when we say holy? Set apart. Set apart. Good. We passed Isaac. <laughs> we remember our confirmation class. <laughs> I think that's true, too. So I think a lot of people, one common answer that I'll often get is uh, they say holy is just, oh, that's something to do with God, right? But actually, elsewhere in Scripture, we are called to be holy and set apart as, as Christians, right? So it just makes a lot more sense, and, and that's consistent with biblical language to be set apart. So the, the triple holy, right, when you say one thing three times, you know that you're not messing around. Like if you just say, holy is the Lord of hosts, like, okay, yeah, I get it. But if you say it three times, then that's pretty big emphasis that it's it's God is definitely set apart. Yeah, for sure. Uh, referenced on the Trinity too. So usually this passage, I think, is read every Trinity Sunday uh, when it comes up in the lectionary most times as well. Uh, if you like angels, this verse is for you. Those, those six-winged seraphim. Yeah, you don't often see pictures of angels like this, right? Yeah, that and the whatever angel it is that just has eyes all over its body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this picture of an angel is different, right, with the six mm -hmm. wings? So most of the angels yeah. I see are just two. I yeah, I, I kind of... It's always been a thing with me. Here, I'll go off on my tangent of the day. It's always been a thing with me of how um, art depicts angels they're always yeah they're beautiful which i would probably imagine that they are beautiful stunning to behold but that they're sweet and nurturing and i want to picture my angels with a flaming sword looming over the forces of evil you know you want you want, the, like I want, the, I, want, I want the army of god is what i want i want michael out front and ready to go let's do it 
So you want like the ultimate warrior? Heck yeah. yeah what kind of angel would you rather have on your side? A chubby dude with a bow and arrow? Or this big, massive, hulking archangel ready to slay the forces of evil? That's, that's, what I, that, that's what I love to picture. And I'm sure that they are because anytime someone sees an angel in scripture, the first thing they have to tell them is, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, that's true. You're going to be afraid of like a, a naked baby butt thing with a little... <laughs> with a sash. <laughs> love arrow. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. Okay. So I like, I, like when the, I do like when the Bible describes angels a little bit more than just saying an angel of the Lord but when it actually kind of gives you a visual description of what they look like. And you can see that these are magnificent creatures. Yeah, does it give me height to how big this is? Well, we talk about the okay. Lord there filling above the... Above him, said the seraphim. So yeah. So I mean, sitting on a throne, so it's above the throne, stood the seraphim. So it just says he can stand. So it doesn't say how big it is. Wouldn't it be cool if he was, like, literally a giant? Like, nine feet tall? Chiseled? Or, or taller. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that would incite fear in uh -huh. Mary, Jesus' mother, or anyone else. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, too. See, to me, this goes back to, like, the bigger bigger discussion. I think sometimes Christianity has been feminized, right? Hmm. So you take, well, yeah, basically, you know, think of the images of angels and the images of Jesus. I think you can fit in the same category. How is Jesus usually depicted? Oh, he's got the flowing hair, flowing, well-manicured beard and he's soft features yeah and nurturing on his chest and, and caring yes yeah we, we did a whole um series on that remember isaac with the lyf we did a whole series on the different aspects of jesus how he's viewed in all these different ways and they're just little pieces of who he is yeah that's just one piece of who jesus is is that loving caring nurturing yeah you know but you want to see the artwork of you know battle jesus right? i want to see jesus in hell Fighting Satan down, beating him down. Yeah. I'm good with that, too. <laughs> right. See, and then the bigger discussion is, you know, church has been feminized, right? And I think that's why we might have to have, might now currently have, like, more females in the church than men as well. Because men today want stuff like that. So I think we can bring back, like, the, you know, the warriors and the fighters and we bring back those elements that are right there in the text like today. Do we want to commission an angel statue to be built? A male angel statue? And battle armor? Bring back buff Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're going a little too far. <laughs> well, anyway, again, just look at what the text says here, right? The text here doesn't really lean one way or the other. I don't think. But if I had to guess, I'd say it leans more toward the masculine army thing, right? Because even after the angel appears, what do the next words talk about? Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, hosts. Lord of armies. So wouldn't it be kind of cool if you have like an army angel saying, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies? And to me, that would make a lot more sense mm -hmm. if you have that kind of image of an angel. Yes. <laughs> that's my best textual argument I can come up with, but it really doesn't say. We're all speculating. Of course. That's, that's what makes good podcast fodder, right? Or at least podcast fodder. I don't know <laughs> if it's good or not. <laughs> we'll leave that to you. Uh, is that a good stopping point? We've got... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if we derailed this train far enough? <laughs> no, maybe. No. Did we talk much about the here I am, send me? No, we oh. haven't. This, this is a... 
Maybe let's wrap up with that. I mean, this whole guys? this whole vision is leading up to this commission right here. Yeah. Any okay. comments on that? Other than singing any of the many various songs that have to do with this? I think it's great that the Lord comes and says, Whom shall I send? And he doesn't have to look around and say, Okay, Isaiah, I'm talking to you. Isaiah pipes up, says, Hey, I'll do it. I'm here. Send me. Well, he is the only guy in the room. But I do. But <laughs> it's like, so often. It's like if you're sitting in church by yourself and like, We need somebody to help with the offering today. Who is it going to be? Brian. <laughs> but so often we see the Lord come to who we're going to know as a future leader or prophet, come to them and say, I need you to do this. And they're like, well, you know, and then here he's asking, who am I going to send? And he, right there, I'm going, I'll do it. There doesn't seem to be any hesitation is what I'm saying at this point. Right. Because he's already yeah. had, like what we just talked about, he's had that cleansing and purification done to his his lips, so he knows he's prepared to, to, to do it. Yeah, a little more willing than, than others in Scripture, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I'll give you that for sure. It is neat. This is always, again, one passage that a lot of seminary recruitment types have focused on. Even LWML has kind of clung to this as well. Who's going to go out into the mission field or even in regular life as well? But, again, keep that in its context, right? Because how is he equipped for that? He's equipped by the forgiveness and, and the gospel message of Christ. Yeah, before he hadn't been cleansed and even just being in the presence of God he's like oh no I'm not ready for this and I'm a man of unclean lips I can't be here but after he gets cleansed and forgiven by God then he's eager to go and do the Lord's work kind of see that cool? in our lives a little bit don't we I, I don't know if I mean, you feel you the feel? same way but when I come to a church service, immediately after, I'm like, my zeal is, is high. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I. That's yeah. kind of how I see this too. Is that he's just recently been refreshed and rejuvenated and ready to go, and he's chomping at the bit to get out there. Sorry, champing. Is that right? I think it's chomping. You're asking the wrong guy. I mix up my idioms all the time. Um, ready to go. He's he's ready to to do the Lord's the Lord's work. All right. Thanks, guys, for being here once again. Another successful podcast. I hope you guys feel free to come back again and do this. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Glad to be a part of it. I also encourage you to come to church Wednesday. We're starting our Lent Midweek series this week. So we're going through the, uh, the book of Isaiah, specifically the Suffering Servant Psalms. Uh, from Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. So that'll be our, our focus so it's a passage that we've heard read every Good Friday, and we're just going to go through it in three verses at a time. Do you want to know who the guest preacher is this week? Who's that? Reverend Keith Wachter. Remember that guy? Who? Why do I know that name? I've heard it before. It'll yeah, be... I think he's only preached once here since he's retired. Hmm. Be but nice he's to... agreed to preach for us. And one thing I learned quickly when I tried to do those you know, Bible books, books of the Bible in one week series this summer, mm -hmm. I don't know nearly enough about Isaiah as what those seminaries, seminarians older than I have. Like you talk to any retired pastor, man, they were, they were drilled in Isaiah. So they, I'm looking forward to hearing God's word from him. It would be nice to see him up there again, hear his voice. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So that'll be this Wednesday, tomorrow? Tomorrow. From, uh, at 11 and 7 o'clock? That's right. 
Excellent. And as always, Brian, your favorite part beforehand. Uh, we're doing a Lenten dinner at 5.45 prior to that uh, 7 o'clock service. And the question is, of course, what's, what's for supper? For supper. Isaac, you know. I know. It's pizza for puppies. That means not... Uh, I made that joke last week. Are the puppies going to be here? No. No <laughs> puppies here. But we're, we're raising money to support the comfort dogs through our mission of the quarter. So come in, enjoy some pizza, some fellowship, and let's help support uh, our mission of the quarter. All right. And then, as always, keep tuning into these podcasts. We'll drop one more episode before the end of this week. Our goal is two a week, again, just to hit the highlights in Isaiah. So next week, we will get kind of scroll back the time and do some uh, Christmas season passages. Yep, we always read from Isaiah during Christmas. I can attest to that. I've done it uh, four, four years in a row now. The cockatrice is done. The cockatrice done. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, and again, we always want to remind you, Sunday services, or weekend services here at Holy Cross, uh, 5 o'clock on Saturdays, 8 a.m., 10.30 a.m. on Sundays, with an hour-long Sunday school and Bible study period in between. Yeah, good stuff as always. Again, come feeling refreshed, so that, like Isaiah, can be energized by these services and say, let's go out and do this. Well, let's go ahead and uh, end this episode in a, in a word of prayer. Uh, Brian, so, why don't you take it this time? I sure will. So if you all please uh, pray with me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts for bringing us together to study your word and to better know uh, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for showing us through Isaiah that even though we may not be worthy, we are cleansed through you and your Son towards eternal life and salvation. Remind us of that daily as we go through our lives. Uh, bring us back together to study your word again and uh, keep this message in our hearts this Lenten season and throughout the rest of the year. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.